Y'all might be seated. It's good to have you all here on a good Friday. If you've been here for any period of time, you know that more than likely, in fact, it's almost impossible for Jesus to have died on a Friday. If he was going to be, as he said, dead three days, then our Friday was not the day, no matter how you do the math. You just can't get three days from Friday to Sunday. But there is the time of the the double holiday, or the double Sabbath, which is what uh, was not taken into account. People see the Sabbath being the following day, and then that Jesus rose the day after the Sabbath, just assumed it was Friday. But either he died on a Wednesday, and then Thursday they went, or uh, died on a Wednesday, Thursday was the uh, Sabbath, and then Friday they went shopping, get all the spices and all the things that they needed, and they made the preparations they had to do, because you couldn't do that on the Sabbath, and then following day was the normal Sabbath, because the first day of the holiday is always a Sabbath, no matter what day it falls on. And so then they would have probably gone shopping on the Friday, and then Saturday would have been a Sabbath, and then the day after the Sabbath, they would have come down to the tomb with all the spices that they made the day before. I think that's the way it happened. The other way that it could be is just that the two Sabbaths came together so that that, uh, Friday and Saturday were both a Sabbath, Friday being the first day of the feast, Saturday being the normal Sabbath, but uh, three days works out better on Wednesday. And I just believe what Jesus said and what the prophets had said, that he would be dead three days and three nights. Didn't mean two days and three nights or three nights and two days. It meant three days and three nights. And in case anybody ever wondered, he always made sure he put it in there. Three days and three nights. Edith Burns was a wonderful Christian lady. She lived in San Antonio, Texas. And she was a patient of a doctor by the name of Will Phillips. Dr. Phillips was a general doctor who saw patients as people. His favorite patient, though, was Edith Burns. One morning he went into his office with a heavy heart, and it was because of Edith. When he walked into the waiting room, there sat Edith with her big black Bible on her lap, earnestly talking to a young mother sitting beside her. Edith Burns had a habit of introducing herself in this way. Hello! My name is Edith Burns. Do you believe in Easter? Then she would explain the meaning of Easter and many times people would be saved. Dr. Phillips walked into the office and there he saw the head nurse, Beverly. Beverly had first met Edith when she was taking her blood pressure and Edith began by saying, My name is Edith Burns. Do you believe in Easter? Beverly said, Why, yes, I do. Edith said, Well, what do you believe about Easter? Beverly said, well, it's all about egg hunts, going to church, and dressing up. Edith kept pressing her about the real meaning of Easter and finally led her to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Dr. Phillips said, Beverly, don't call Edith into the office quite yet. I believe there's another delivery taking place in the waiting room. After being called back into the doctor's office, Edith sat down and when she took a look at the doctor, she said, Dr. Will, why are you so sad? Are you reading your Bible? Are you praying? Dr. Phillips said gently, Edith, I'm the doctor and you're the patient. With a heavy heart, he said, your lab report came back and it says you have cancer. And Edith, you're not going to live very long. Edith said, why, Will Phillips, shame on you. Why are you so sad? Do you think God makes mistakes? You have told me I'm going to see my precious Lord Jesus my husband and my friends. 
You have just told me that I am going to celebrate Easter forever. And here you are having difficulty giving me my ticket. <laughs> Dr. Phillips thought to himself, what a magnificent woman this Edith Burns is. Edith continued coming to Dr. Phillips. Christmas came and the office was closed on January th- until January the 3rd. On the day the office opened, Edith did not show up. Later that afternoon, Edith called Dr. Phillips and said she would be having to, she would have to be moving her story to the hospital and said, well, Will, I'm very near home. So would you make sure that they put women in here next to me in my room who need to know about Easter? Well, they did just that. And women began to come in and share that room with Edith. Many women were saved, everybody, on the floor with staff to patients. We're so excited about Edith. And they started calling her Edith Easter. That is everyone except Philip or Phyllis Cross, the head nurse. Phyllis made it plain that she wanted nothing to do with Edith because she was a religious nut. She had been a nurse in an army hospital. She had seen it all and heard it all. She was the original G.I. Jane. She had been married three times and she was hard, cold, and did everything by the book. One morning, the two nurses who were to attend to Edith were sick. Edith had the flu and Philip Cross had to go in and give her a shot. When she walked in, Edith had a big smile on her face and said, Phyllis, God loves you and I love you and I've been praying for you. Phyllis Cross said, well, you can quit praying for me. It won't work. I'm not interested. Edith said, well, I will pray and I have asked God not to let me go home until you come into the family. Phyllis Cross said, then you will never die because <laughs> that will never happen. And she curtly walked out of the room. Every day, Phyllis Cross would walk into the room and Edith would say, God loves you, Phyllis, and I love you, and I'm praying for you. One day, Phyllis Cross said she was literally drawn to Edith's room like a magnet was drawn to iron. She sat down on the bed and Edith said, I'm so glad you have come because God told me that today is your special day. Phyllis Cross said, Edith, you have asked everybody here the question, do you believe in Easter? But you have never asked me. Edith said, Phyllis, I wanted too many times, but God told me to wait until you asked. And now that you have asked, Edith Burns took her Bible and shared with Phyllis Cross the Easter story of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Edith said, Phyllis, do you believe in Easter? Do you believe that Jesus Christ is alive and that he wants to live in your heart? Phyllis Cross said, oh, I want to believe that with all my heart, and I do want Jesus in my life. Right there, Phyllis Cross prayed and invited Jesus Christ into her heart. For the first time, Phyllis Cross did not walk out of the hospital room. She was carried out on the wings of an angel. Two days later, Phyllis Cross came in, and Edith said, do you know what day it is? Phyllis Cross said, oh, why, Edith, it's Good Friday. Edith said, oh, no, for you, every day is Easter. Happy Easter, Phyllis. Two days later on Easter Sunday, Phyllis Cross came into work, did some other duties, and then went down to the flower shop and got some Easter lilies because she wanted to go to see Edith and give her some Easter lilies. Wish her a happy Easter. When she walked into Edith's room, Edith was in bed. That big black Bible was on her lap. Her hands were on that Bible, and there was a sweet smile on her face. When Phyllis Cross went to pick up Edith's hand, she realized Edith was dead. Her left hand was on John 14. In my father's house are many mansions. I go to prepare a place for you. I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Her right hand was on Revelation 21.4. 
And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, no sorrow, nor crying, nor shall there be no more pain. For the former things have passed. Phyllis Cross took one look at the dead body and then lifted her face toward heaven with tears streaming down her cheeks. Said, Happy Easter, Edith. Happy Easter. Phyllis Cross left Edith's room, or left Edith's body, walked out of the room, and over to a table where two student nurses were sitting. She said, My name is Phyllis Cross. Do you believe in Easter? <laughs> oh, it was a good story for this time of year. We can think of many people like Edith who sometimes think that a ticket like that is from God. And it does not mean that as I share the story with you. But as I was contemplating what we should get into today, I want to take up a phrase that we hear so often in the Christian circles. That people all over are always talking about how they are taking up their cross. This is my cross that I must bear. And they describe the things that they have in their, in their uh, possession, the things that they're carrying. This is the cross that I must bear for God. And as I was pondering that, I was thinking, how many times are, are we talking about bearing crosses that are not crosses? And if we're going to bear the crosses Jesus did and Jesus told us to, we really ought to understand better what the cross is. In Matthew 10, verse 38, after the selection of the twelve, Jesus said, And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. Now, if you listen to what Jesus says, does it not sound like every one of us has a cross? Does it not sound like every one of us should be picking it up? In, uh, later on in the same gospel, Matthew 16, verse 24, Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Now he says, take up your cross, and then he talks about losing your life and gaining your life. So would it not be that the cross has something to do with what he says second? For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father with angels, and then he will reward each according to his works. Assuredly, I say to you, there are some standing here who shall not taste death till they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Later in Mark chapter 8, we're going to see the same, same story told in Mark's gospel. But he starts off this way. When he had called the people to himself with his disciples also, he said to them, Whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. So we see there was more than just his disciples that were present there. In Mark chapter 10, in verse 21, Then Jesus, looking at him, speaking of the rich young ruler, loved him and said to him, One thing you lack, go your way, sell whatever you have, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, take up the cross, and follow me. Peter had the famous confession, You are Christ, the Son of the living God. And then Jesus said, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. 
Then he said to them all, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and is himself destroyed or lost? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes in his own glory and in his Father's and of the holy angels. But I tell you, truly, there are some standing here who shall not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. So Jesus is certainly telling us, take up your cross. That there is a cross that each one of us is to bear. There is something that we should be carrying and that each day we are to take it up. So in order for us to better understand what is the cross that I am to be taking up and not go, because sometimes I hear people talk about, well, that's my cross and I must bear. And spiritually, I want to throw up. <laughs> Did you ever get that way? I mean, physically, you're just fine. But spiritually, your spirit just wants to just vomit. Because it's so poor. Such a terrible way of looking at the Word of God. Most times that people say that, they have no idea what Jesus did on the cross. They go to church on a regular basis, probably have been to a lot of Good Friday services and Easter services and Resurrection Sunday services and such. And they've heard all kinds of things taught about the cross, but they have no idea what the cross really was. They saw that Jesus suffered. They saw that he was beaten. They saw that he bled. They saw that he was our sacrifice, but they have no idea what the cross was. You cannot take up something you do not know what it is. You can know all about it, but you don't know what it is. So we've got to go back to the Word of God and find out what is the cross that Jesus bore. If we are going to bear something like it, it must match the pattern. So I went back into the Word of God and I wrote down some things. If you have your outlines in front of you, if you didn't pick up one, we burned them all. But if you uh, were able to get in time before we did that, there's some out there on the back table for you. <laughs> Scalpers, yeah. Well, first off, when Jesus went to the cross, folks, he went willingly. He went willingly. We know in the garden that he was, he was battling through the willingness process, but he was saying, not what I will, but what you will. And when he went to the cross, he went of his own free will. No one twisted his arm. No one forced him. He went. He went for us. So the first thing, if we're going to compare our crosses to what Jesus did, he went willingly. And secondly, it was on his and the father's timing. It was not on anyone else's timing. There was no one else who decided when the cross was going to be. Jesus decided when it was going to be. There were many times that they decided to try and kill Jesus early and they could not because it was not his time. Now, think about this for just a moment. Was Adam intended to die? No. In fact, folks, Adam did not have the capacity to die. When he was put on this earth, he did not have the capacity to die. He was intended to live forever. And Jesus told him that the day that you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that day dying, you shall die is actually how it is, is worded. Dying, you shall die. On the day that you die spiritually, physically, you will be dying. And from that point on, they began to be dying until the death took over their body and they went on to, to heaven or whatever else they were going to do. But it was not God's intention for him to die. In fact, they were removed from the garden because they said, if we don't, they will eat of the tree of the knowledge or the tree of life and live forever. 
which is real interesting that they were in the garden all that time and they had the choice of two trees and decided to eat that one first. So, Adam was not intended to die. What is the last, the last enemy that will be defeated? Death. It will be the last enemy defeated. It is not defeated yet. But, death had no power over Adam until he sinned. Sinless, a sinless Adam could not die. What was Jesus? A sinless Adam. I don't think Jesus could die. Now, I'll give you some proof on it. But they tried to throw him off a cliff, and what did he do? Walked right through the midst of them. How do you do that? They desired to take up stones and stone them, and, they, and it didn't happen. They laid a trap for them with Lazarus, and it didn't work. And coming to the city of Jerusalem, he told his disciples, let me tell you how it's going to go down. I'm going to be tur- turned over to the high priest. These things are going to happen. They're going to crucify me. I'll be beaten. I'll be dead. And the third day, I'll rise up. Jesus also said his own words in John chapter 10, verse 1. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the doorkeeper opens and the sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. Yet they will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him for they do not know the voice of strangers. Jesus used this illustration, but they did not understand the things which he spoke to them. Well, that's not uncommon. That happened quite often, didn't it? Then Jesus said to them again, most assuredly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. And all whoever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill, to destroy. I have come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The shepherd gives his life for the sheep. The shepherd gives his life for the sheep. That's the sign of a shepherd. Shepherd gives his life for the sheep. It's not taken. But a hireling, he was not the shepherd. One who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he is a hireling and does not care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd. And I know my sheep, and I am known by my own. As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring. And they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. Therefore my Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it again. Verse 18. No one takes it from me. But I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down. And I have power to take it again. This command I have received from my father. I don't think Jesus could die. Now when he was beaten. 
We told you before, he went through the 40 lashes, the 39 lashes, the 40 lashes minus one. But uh, the Romans did not have a restriction on it. It was the Jews that had the restriction. And so in giving in to the Jews, the Romans went ahead and, and went with that restriction. But um, it's not the Romans who counted. It was the Jews. It was the religious leaders of the Jews who counted to make sure that the Romans didn't overdo it. How fervent were they with the counting, do you think, with Jesus? <laughs> you think they lost count? You think they uh, counted quietly? No, no, we're not there yet. You can keep going. What, what motivation did the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and such have to count correctly and stop the Romans at 39 lashes? Now, you know, the, the lashes, if you haven't seen them described before, but, you know, it's a, it's a cat of nine tails. Uh, there are nine pieces of leather, and on those leathers are bits of glass and bone and all sorts of sharp things. And, and each one of them, when they would lance into the skin, would be dragged. They were very good at this. Very good. They're Romans. They're very bloodthirsty, and they would drag this, but they were long, and they would, they would not only be on the black back, but they would wrap around in the front. And they would dig in and then they would pull them so that they would rip flesh. They didn't care whether it hit your face. They didn't care if it hit your back. They didn't care where it hit. They just wanted to hit. And being that they had nine tentacles out, they could, they could bloody you. So his, the Word of God tells us that his face was so marred that you could not tell who it was. I don't think I've ever seen a person beaten so much that I could not see who they were. Now imagine this. They're still alive. Beaten to that degree. And still alive. Not only that, but a cross was put upon them to carry. And this cross was on the back that has been beaten all this time. Jesus went through more than anyone had ever gone through physically. Not only with the cat of nine tails, but also with the physical beatings, the punches, the, the abuse, all the things that they had gone through. There was anger from these people. And he didn't die. And then they put him on the cross. They banged the nails. And then, of course, once you're attached, they thumped that thing into the hole. And he still didn't die. Of course, they had to hurry up, and so that's why the spear was brought in. But Jesus was already dead by the time they came to him. Why? Because he laid down his life and then he would take it up again. No one took it. He laid it down. When Jesus took up his cross, he did it willingly. He didn't do it because he, he didn't know what was going on. He did it on his timing. It was not put upon him. And his timing was the timing of of the Father. And he laid down his life. No one took it. He served the Father's will, not his own. When he took up his cross, he served the Father's will. He did not serve his own will. Here's a big one. He went to the cross quietly. Acts chapter 8, verse 29. Then the Spirit said to Philip, Go near and overtake this chariot. So Philip ran to him and he heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, Do you understand what you are reading? He said, How can I unless someone guides me? And he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. 
the place in the scripture where he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his injustice was taken, his justice was taken away, and who will declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. So the Enoch answered Philip and said, I ask you, of whom does the prophet say this of, himself or of some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the scripture, preaching Jesus to him. But here the prophet said that he would be like a sheep to the slaughter and a lamb before its shearer is silent. That's how Jesus is described. And we saw that he was brought before the the folks, and they made all the accusations, he did not say a word. And finally, they got fed up with that. He said, do you not understand that I had the power? <laughs> and Jesus said, you only have what power has been given to you. Mm. He didn't complain. He didn't demand justice. He suffered without complaining. He suffered without complaining. How many people do you know that are taking up their cross and are suffering without complaining. <laughs> All right, disqualified already, aren't they? There's another one. He prayed for those with evil desires, schemes, words, and actions. In Luke 23, verse 32, there were also two others, criminals, led with him to be put to death. When they had come to the place called Calvary, Calvary, Calvary there they crucified him, and the criminals, one on the right hand and one on the other. On the left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. How many people do you know that are taking their cross, who come to such an injustice and pray, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And they divided his garments and cast lots, and the people stood looking on, but even the rulers with them sneered, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, if he is the Christ, the chosen of God. The soldiers also mocked him, coming and offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. An inscription also was written over him in letters of Greek, Latin, and Hebrew. This is the king of the Jews. Then one of the criminals who were hanged blasphemed him, saying, If you are the Christ, save yourself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Do you not even fear God, seeing you are under the same condemnation? And we... Indeed, justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. Now, I want you to notice something about this. He's got one criminal on his left, one criminal on his right. Did you know that those two people know each other? The criminal on the left and the criminal on the right were probably in the same gang together. Look at what he says. And we, who's he speaking of? Us, and we, indeed, justly. How does he know that the guy on the other end of the cross is justly receiving what he is due? Because they did the crime together. <laughs> and we, indeed, justly, for we received the due reward of our deeds. He's not saying your deed and my deed. He's saying our deeds. They did the crime together. Whatever the crimes or crimes, crime or crimes were, they did it together. And they were being crucified for it together. And to make a point, they put Jesus in the midst of the two. Then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. 
And Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Now it was about the sixth hour, and there was darkness all over the earth until the ninth hour. And the sun was darkened, and the veil of the temple was torn in two. And Jesus had cried out with a loud voice. He said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Having said this, he breathed his last. And when the centurion saw what had happened, he glorified God, saying, Certainly this man, this was a righteous man. And the whole crowd came together to that site, seeing what had been done, beat their breast, and returned. But you see, he prayed for those who had evil desires, schemes, words, and actions. How many times have we been told by people, I'm taking my cross, I'm burying this cross for Christ, and it does not involve praying for those people that have hurt them and accomplishing the purpose that God has. He prayed for those too weak to stand with him. He, didn't he pray for his disciples? They were too weak to stand with him. They all ran off. But he still prayed for them, didn't he? He prayed for them before he ever went to the cross. Peter, I have prayed for you. <laughs> that when you return, you will strengthen your brethren. He prayed for all of his disciples. He forgave the evil, the weak, and the fickle. The evil, the ones who determined evil against him and tried to bring this whole scheme about. Prayed for the weak, his disciples, and even the fickle. How many people that are in the crowd here were the same ones a week before they were putting down palm branches? Praise the Lord. How many of these people were people that were healed in, the, in his meetings? And here they are, crucify him. Crucify him. That's a fickle person right there. He prayed for the, He forgave them all. He forgave the evil ones. He forgave the weak ones. And he forgave the fickle ones. For some of us, one of those might be, a, might be easy enough. But all three? Have you had fickle people in your life that are with you one moment and not with another? Have you had weak people in your life who just can't stand with you? Have you had evil people that have concocted schemes against you, meant all manner of evil? <laughs> We've got them all. He prayed for those too weak to stand with them. He forgave the evil, the weak, and the fickle, and he did what would justify all, not what was just for himself. The cross that Jesus took on himself willingly quietly without complaining he did what would justify all not what was just for himself too many times people are saying well i took up this cross but it only benefits them it doesn't benefit anyone else when jesus took up a cross it benefited all i put in here in your outline what other traits can you think of i bet you can probably put your mind to it and think of some more beside what i came up with right here right <laughs> And that's fine. I'm not giving you an all-encompassing list. There's probably some other things that you could come up with as well. But the cross was the fulfillment of the Father's call and purpose. The cross that Jesus bore, that He carried, that He hung on, was the fulfillment of the Father's call and His purpose for Jesus' life. This is why He was sent. This is the culmination of that calling and the purpose that I have for you down here. It's not a pretty one, but it's necessary. So what about our cross? Our cross. Does what we call a cross fulfill the same? Is our cross that we say we are carrying for God, is it filled with purpose? Is there a purpose to it? Is there a godly purpose? Do we, Jesus knew I'm taking this cross on because if I take this on, the whole world will become justified, forgiven, 
Moses took on the, the, what he was to bear because it was going to bring deliverance to the children of Israel and eventually deliverance to all mankind. Abraham the same. How many of the prophets took on their, their calling in their life? We're beaten for it. But there was a purpose. I need you to go. I need you to declare. I need you to be that person. All right, I'll go. There's that purpose that was there. It was a purpose outside of themselves, outside of their own benefit. Now, here's another one. Do we carry it quietly? How many times do you know people that are carrying a, a cross for Christ and they make sure that everybody knows about it? How much they're suffering. How hard it is. How lucky God is that they're on His side. <laughs> There's no quietly about what they're doing, is it? Without complaining, how many people do you know that are carrying the cross for God and are complaining about it? <laughs> Jesus didn't complain. You want to carry a cross, be like Him. He didn't complain. He was quiet and He did it with purpose. Now here's number four. I'll tell you what, this one will just flatten most people. If you didn't get flattened already, this one will just take, that, take the feet right out from under most folks. Did we take it up or did it fall on us? <laughs> How many times are people saying they are taking up a cross for Christ, but they did not take it up? Jesus said, I took up. He picked up the cross. He carried it. Most times people are carrying a cross for God. It fell on them. They got in the way and it just happened to happen and to come into their life. They don't want it. They tried to get out of its way. But there it is. Which <laughs> brings us to number five. Are we content to carry it? Or are we looking to pass it off or shake it loose? Are we content to carry that cross? Or are we looking to pass it off to someone else? Or maybe shake it loose? You know, you get the, you get the dog out there. The dog gets something on him. He doesn't want what to do. Shakes. I want to get this thing off of me. They don't like it. He shakes it off. There's a lot of Christians out there. If they could shake it off, if they could pass it off, they would do so. Jesus could have. He said, I can call a thousand angels down right now. They'd be here. I can call a legion of angels. They'd come right here in a minute. Take me down off this thing. Destroy everybody that's around here. If I did it, if he wanted to shake it off, it'd be shaken off. If he wanted to drop it, it'd be gone. He carried it. If you are going to do what Jesus said, which is take up your cross daily and follow me. Doesn't mean you get in the way of something. Doesn't mean that something falls on you. If you could get it off, you would. But since you can't, I'll carry it for God. <laughs> That's not carrying a cross. That's not doing what he said to do. Should we go on? <laughs> we can stop right here, you know. <laughs> Number six. Are we praying or gossiping and backbiting and such? Jesus took those people that were evil, that were weak, and that were... See, you forgot already. <laughs> Fickle. <laughs> he took those people, the ones that came to the meetings, got healed, the ones that put the palm branches out there, and now they're saying, crucify them. He took the ones who ran away from who were his closest friends, Closest disciples, the ones he sowed into. And he took those who were ev men evil. He took all of them. He prayed for them. Are we doing that or are we gossiping and backbiting and such? 
If so, are you really taking up your cross? We can stop if you want. Point number seven, though. Are we forgiving? Are we forgiving those people in those groups? Or are we justifying why we should feel the way we are? Are we forgiving or justifying? Which one are we doing? Are we going to take up our cross? Or something else? Are we forgiving? Or are we justifying our actions, our thoughts, where we are? Could Jesus have justified himself? Oh, man, that wouldn't even been hard. He'd be right, wouldn't he? What came upon Jesus on the cross was unjust for him to bear. He took it up and never complained about it, never pointed to the injustice and forgave those who put it upon him. Number eight, last one I wrote down in here. Does it benefit anyone else beside me? Does what I call a cross Bearing this cross for God, does it, bear, does it benefit anyone else beside me? If I am successful at bearing this cross, will there be anyone else who has a benefit? Will anyone else's life be made better? When Jeremiah was bearing his cross, were other people made better? If they listened. Any of the other prophets? How about Daniel, the cross that he bore? Were people's lives made better because of what Daniel pursued, found out and discovered? Was Moses and his life and the cross that he bore? Can you imagine wandering around the wilderness for all those years with a group of complaining, grumpy, angry people that as soon as something to go their way, they wanted to kill you? <laughs> Is that a cross? <laughs> And he bored for a long time. Long time. And it never seemed to get better, did it? Never see. Was he doing it for his benefit? Was anything that Moses did for his own benefit? He did benefit. But it wasn't done for his benefit. He had one of the closest relationships with God that a man ever had. He benefited from that. But he stayed with it because... Other people benefited. Paul is out there. He's taking the gospel to the Gentile nations. He said it was hard. He said, for me to be with, to go along, be with Christ, a whole lot better. To stay here, it's better for you. If he wanted to do the thing that benefited him, he'd die and go on to heaven. Instead, he kept pushing on. Taking the abuse. Taking the things that would come against him. And sure, it would wore him down. There were times that he said, oh God, please take this away from me. And God said, my grace is sufficient. So if we're going to say we're taking up a cross for God, we've got to make sure that it fits in with what a cross is. A cross is something that I take up willingly. It's filled with purpose. I carry it about quietly without complaining. I take it up. It didn't follow me. I pick it up. Jesus said again, take up your cross Daily and follow me. We are content to carry it. I find contentment in carrying what is a burden. The cross that Jesus carried to, the, to Calvary was a burden. It was heavy. It was hard. And he was content to do it. He didn't pass it off, shake it off. He was willing to go to that cross, hang on that cross, 
and die for us. Not that anyone killed him, but he laid down his life. He prayed for those who didn't gossip and backbite about the people that were in this plan. He forgave. He always kept his eyes on what benefited other people. From what the words of Jesus we opened with, we see we need to understand what our cross is. What is my cross that I end to pick up? A cross is not sickness and disease. That doesn't benefit anyone. There's nothing that helps any other person out on that. And that's not something that we picked up. It fell on us. Right? Sickness and disease is not a cross. Infirmities, weaknesses, these are not crosses. Crosses are purposes. It is a purpose that God has when He has said, Steve, this is the purpose I have for your life. Now, accomplishing that purpose is going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. There are going to be people that will come against you in coming after that purpose. There will be people that you will have to forgive, people that you have to pray for, that you're not going to be happy with. It is possible for you to take that purpose and put it down. But I don't want you to. I want you to carry it. Because that purpose, that cross, has a benefit for other people. And I have to get outside of myself and look at the benefit of what other people will gain. That's why Paul wrote what he did. For me to live is Christ. To die is gain. There's a benefit for me in dying. There's a benefit for others to stay here and accomplish the purpose that God has. Jesus was not the only one carrying a cross that day, was he? There were others who carried. We know at least two others that were on either side of him, whether other people were being crucified on that day in some other places, we don't know. But he was not the only person carrying a cross that day. But he was the only one, bearing one with a purpose outside of himself. There are many believers, there are many people that are carrying crosses. But very few of those crosses have a purpose outside of themselves. God has called us to carry a cross for the purpose of benefiting other people. He's put a purpose on our life, a calling on our life, and that calling, when we fulfill it, when we go after it, is difficult. It's trying. It's hard to keep going. There are times that we may want to give up. But you see, we have to look outside of ourselves. And look at the purpose of the Father. Come to that place that says, Today, just as yesterday, I will take up my cross. I will take up my life purpose. I will take up what you have called me and placed me on this earth to do. And I will do it with gusto. I will do it until the day that I die. I will pray for those, whether they're evil, weak, or fickle. And as far as it goes on my side, I will be in forgiveness to those people who have wronged me. I will not harbor bitterness. That will wear me out. And I will always keep sight of the purpose for what God has called me to. Keep our eye on the purpose. Do you know the purpose for your life? I think Edith 
had a good idea what her purpose was. <laughs> she stayed with it up until the day that she died. Let's get to know our purpose. Let's get to know why we are here. And understand that is a cross and I will bear it. A cross is not something that God has delivered us from. A cross is something that God has called us into. Make sure you always keep that straight. A cross is not something God has delivered us from. It's something He has called us to. What has God called you to? Are you going after it? Are you going after it? You cannot take up your cross until you know what it is. But once you, once you learn it, God says, take it up daily. Every day. Father God, this is why I'm here. I'm going to do this. What kind of things do you have going on in your life? What's your cross? Remember, it has to be outside of yourself. It has to be a calling that comes from God. A purpose. Something that furthers His kingdom. Something that involves the traits that Jesus' cross was. So what's yours? If God wants us to take it up, I guess we ought to. Now let me go back to one of the verses of Scripture we, we looked at earlier. The rich young ruler. He came to Jesus and he said, What do I need to do? And Jesus said, Well, you know the commandments? And he read off a few of them. These I have kept from my youth. What more do I lack? And Jesus said, Go, sell what you have. Give the money to the poor and take up your cross and follow me. Now, following him was not the cross, was it? But what you'll notice is this is a man who was after God. And Jesus had compassion on him. He was genuine. This is a genuine person who was after God and had served God since his youth. But had not yet taken up his cross. You see that? You can follow God all the days of your life and never learn what your cross is. If you don't learn what it is, you can't take it up. If God wants you to take it up, folks, what do you think He'll tell you what it is? <laughs> That'd be unfair for Him to say, take up something, I'm not going to tell you what it is, but you ought to pick it up. He's not going to do that. Don't look to other people to tell you what it is. Look to God. What is the cross? that I am to pick up. What is the cross that I am to bear? Because I want to do it every day. I want to do it every day. Whatever it is, it has the potential to discourage you. It has the potential to get you down. Because we can go through the different people. You can go through and look at the Moseses, the Jeremiahs, and the Pauls, and the other ones, and you can find out they got discouraged carrying that cross. You can look at the Ezekiel's, the Elijah's, and you can see it got hard. They wanted to give up. Just because you find out what the purpose of God is for your life doesn't mean it's going to be easy. I guarantee you it'd be the hardest thing you ever did. But it'd be the most fulfilling. It'd be the most fulfilling. Huh. How about we put our energy into carrying the cross that God's called us to carry?
instead of a whole lot of other stuff that we've been carrying instead. Because a lot of times we're carrying guilt, carrying burdens, carrying sickness and disease, we're carrying failure, carrying sadness. And those things have become heavy. God says, that's not what I told you to pick up and carry. What I told you to pick up and carry is over here. Go get it. I need you to. Oh, I want you to. It'll be hard. Oh, but it'll be fulfilling. <laughs> it'll be fulfilling. Today as we close the service, it's communion day for us. We celebrate the work that He did on the cross and we've always, almost always focused this, on this, on the aspect of the two parts, the bread representing the body the wine, the grape juice representing His blood. Because that's how Jesus did it. But today I want us to focus on the entire event, the cross. Take up your cross and follow Him. Now look at this. We're called to take up your cross and follow Him. And as we do this today, let me go over here and grab some of these things. First do the bread. What's the bread represent? His body which is broken for us. He was beaten for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities, and by His stripes we are healed. We were healed. This is the healing. You cannot celebrate, you cannot view Picking up their cross when the first part of it is about the freedom from sickness and disease. Your cross cannot be sickness and disease. It cannot be weaknesses because his body freed us from that. Let me go on to the, to the blood. This is for forgiveness of sins. You cannot carry a cross that's laden with guilt, shame, works that cannot be a cross because it's what he delivered you from during that whole event of the cross it can't be our purpose in God cannot have anything to do with deficiencies in our body or weights on our soul only purposes who are ushers tonight there we go. As the men come and distribute these offerings, these communion elements, be mindful this time of the cross. Jesus went to the cross. Jesus picked up his cross. He was beaten before, and the sin was put him on him when he was on the cross. But he took up that cross. Understand what it is. It's not weights on your soul. It's not burdens on your body. It's purposes. Don't let any of those other things distract you from the purpose. Because they can. Heavy souls, burdened bodies. Oh, they can distract us from our purpose. But don't let it. 
Don't let it. Glory to God. Have you one been served? On the same night that Jesus was betrayed, had everybody in the upper room, family, before supper started, he's getting ready to go to the cross. He knows what's out there. He knows this is his purpose. Been doing a whole lot of other things along that line of purpose up until now, but this is the culminating purpose. This is why I'm here. This is why I had to come. He took the bread and he broke it. He said, this represents my body, which is broken for you. My body will bear your sickness and disease, your pain, that suffering. Let's eat together, remember. And after supper, still before the cross, he took the cup. He said, this represents the blood of the new covenant. No longer is there going to be blood of bulls and goats, yearly sacrifices. All that's gone. No longer is sin going to be weighing anyone down. No longer are people paying to cover up sin, waiting for the ultimate price to be paid. This is the ultimate price. And I will wipe away all sin. <laughs> No works, nothing that we need to do. Therefore, our spirits have purpose and our souls are burden free. We're not weighed down. We're not trying to work our way into heaven. Now, let all that go. Let's remember as we drink together. Glory to God. Father, we thank you. The cross sometimes seems like a huge thing in front of us. Something that's just... Oh, that's just awesome. I don't know how I could possibly do it. But you grow us up. You're developing us. Getting us ready for that calling. Moses, you prepared for how many years? Jesus was prepared and made ready. Paul was made ready. Peter was made ready. John was made ready. So many <coughs> were prepared, were groomed. We hear the stories of Samuel in the temple how you were getting him ready for the calling that would be on his life. And how he picked up the burden of a nation, the calling that Daniel would walk into, the purpose you had for him. We look at these and we see how much better life is for us because of the cross picked up, the purpose they fulfilled in their life. Father, we want to do that same thing for you. I thank you that you show us what your purpose is, what your calling is, and if we are in a preparation stage, we are content with that preparation, with our eye ahead of where we're going and what we'll do. You're making us ready. And when the time comes and the, it's time for that cross to be picked up, we are made strong, we are made ready, and we can carry it every day, all the time. We can do it because we're ready. Father, I thank you for the help that you give us in that. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.